We'll take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. As we seek to tie together the things that we've addressed in this celebration of Christmas and Christmas season, indeed, we spent significant time this last Sunday talking about God incarnate, the importance of the deity of Christ as He came into this world to seek and to save those who were lost, to deal with the reality of sin and to bring hope to an utterly hopeless situation in life. As we tie all of this together and even move into the new year, we understand that there is light and life in the gospel alone, and the gospel is the sum total of the person and work of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross of Calvary for our behalf as we move forward seeking to live soberly and righteous in this present age. It seems that we have our theology down pretty good, but living soberly and righteous sometimes is a challenge for us to live in the light of the moment and to be reminded of the things that matter most, to cling to those things that we are promised in Scripture, and to hang on even if God seems silent. As we sang in Emmanuel this morning, There was 400 years of silence when God stopped speaking through the prophets to His people until the glorious announcement on the hillside by the angels in Luke chapter 2. Can you imagine 400 years of silence? I imagine those people were a lot like us. Has He forgotten about us? Does He no longer hear us? Does he realize what we've been through and are going through? Doesn't he grasp the reality of my current situation? He does indeed. So we have been spending time in our celebration of the Lord's Supper over the course of this past year in the upper room discourse that begins in John chapter 13, kind of transitions in John chapter 15, culminates in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17 by what is known and recorded for us in John 17 as the high priestly prayer of Christ. And as we reflect upon that a little bit and and go to those pivotal times once a year in which we reflected on this, we're going to return to that passage of Scripture in John chapter 14 in particular, a part way just prior to a transition that takes place in, in John chapter 15. Now, some believe that the discourse continues into John chapter 15, and others believe that, that perhaps this, the rest of this upper room discourse takes place on, on the road to the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus continues to share with His disciples, but that's really irrelevant of the point. He continues to speak, and He continues to speak into the life of His disciples, and He continues to speak into their life because He knows that He is going to be facing the ultimate challenge, if you would, in his humanity, paying for the sins of the whole world and experiencing a separation with the Father. He knows what is coming and what lies ahead of him. And yet his concern is for these disciples, these men that he has spent now over three years with pouring into their lives. And he knows that they're going to face the most formidable challenge of their life as those who were called by Jesus to follow him. They were expecting him to establish a kingdom. They were expecting him to do everything that he promised the very next day. 
And that's not how this would all come down. So as he's preparing them for this next inevitable and greatest crisis, he's trying to to encourage them. He's trying to get their minds focused and attuned to the right things. He's trying to get them ready. And isn't that what we try and do at least as we transition from an old year to a new year, to get ready for whatever it is the Lord might have for us in this coming year. I think there is very valuable things in this, this upper room discourse to assist us in that preparation. But in that preparation, there's going to be nothing new or fresh. It's the same old, same old, but it's an important reminder for all of us. No matter what might happen in the context of a new year, we still have a God who sits on the throne. We still have a Savior who is intercessing for His people. And we are still anticipating the day when we see Him and become like Him, when old things are finally made new and all of the promises made will be realized in Christ alone. In John chapter 1, as he begins his treatise, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. An introduction to His sovereignty, He is in control of absolutely everything. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We spent some time over the Christmas season focused on, on that reality. The hope and the promise that darkness will never overtake the light. But with this painful human reality that sometimes the darkness, even in the midst of that light, seems daunting, whether it's culturally, whether it's in our own personal lives, whether it's ecclesiastically, that darkness seems at times to be overwhelming. Just as God prepared these disciples for this significant challenge in their life. He has prepared us as well, even through the words to these followers of His. We're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. The darkness will never overtake the light. We can either choose to curse the darkness, meaning this whole political world in which we live with all of its faults and flaws, or we can choose to live in the light, soberly and righteous, in anticipation of a better day. Those are our choices. There's no immediate choices. There's nothing in between those two things. Most of us, reality-wise, in our own personal lives, have a tendency to flip back and forth between those two extremes, cursing our situation, and yet trying to hang on to the gospel of light in Christ alone. But that is the necessary reality of where we are today and where we will be tomorrow. Pray with me, please. Again, Father, we would ask that you draw on our memories and remind us of the ground that we've covered from January of last year to today in this Upper Room Discourse. Bring it together in a a life-breathing kind of way. Remind us of the gospel of light. Remind us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Remind us that that process of reconciliation is not yet complete. So as we hang on in an increasingly dark world, as we go through the dark corridors of life, 
Remind us of the things that matter most and teach us to find our hope and that which never changes. Protect us from pursuing empty promises and vain realities that we can have our best life now. As we focus on a coming year with all of its opportunities, our dreams and ambitions, we know that it will be filled with its share of realities, and some of those realities will be dark and difficult and trying. Prepare us for that time. But most importantly, remind us of our Savior, of His sovereignty, of His goodness, of His promise, of His blessing, so that when those difficult times come, we may stand fast. Perhaps in these declining, darkening days, that's the only thing that we can do. Remind us that that's the best thing that we can do, to stand fast in the things that we know, and to be reminded that a better day is coming. Encourage us as we reflect on this text, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this Upper Room Discourse, we have some of the most beloved and comforting words of Jesus to His disciples, reminded to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We read in chapter 13, for instance, and chapter 13 begins with, with Jesus setting an example as He, as he washes the disciples' feet as, as, a, as a servant, teaching us to be servants. And, and we read in verse 16, truly, truly, an emphasis I say to you, Christ says to these disciples, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In essence, he is teaching him, these disciples, a greater lesson than perhaps that they can comprehend at that particular time. What he's teaching them is that, that we can't do this ourselves, and, and, and we can't make this ourselves, and we can't create this ourselves, and we are dependent, contingent kind of beings. Isn't it interesting how we forget that sometimes? We, we forget that we're dependent, contingent beings, and we think that our future and history all relies on what we do today. Listen, let, let me remind you, you have no control even over tomorrow, even over the next hour. But there's a resource that we have who is in control of absolutely everything. He knows the end from the beginning, the good from the bad. And he's preparing them to face this huge challenge that will soon be upon them and reminding them that he came from the Father to do his will. He will go back to the Father and leave them to do his will. And they must all live and do that will in the context that there was one greater than they. And indeed, that's the reality of life. There is one greater than they. We also read in verse 34 of chapter 13, the new commandment that he gives to love one another. By all that, all people will know that you are my disciples who have love one, one for another. But one of the sobering realities that we tackled in John chapter 13 is amongst these men gathered around this table reclining, intuitively listening to the words of Christ with great anticipation and failing to understand that He's tried to prepare them for this worst-case scenario that they would soon go through. There was one at that table who was not one of His own. 
He talks about the ones that he had chosen, and he says, that doesn't include all of you. I want you to know that that's a sobering reality for me on a daily basis, but particularly on Sunday as I open up the book and speak to people. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done on your behalf? And I realize that I will never persuade and convince everybody, and God has that under control through his son, Jesus Christ. But it's an important aspect of our ministry is to preach that word and and to reach out with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in the end, be content that God knows, and he handles it, and he takes care of it through his son, Jesus Christ. In light of that, we move into chapter 14, and he says to these disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He knows the trouble is coming. He knows that they're going to be stirred. He knows they're going to be agitated, agitated in a sense that there's a curve coming that they, they haven't been able to anticipate. And he knows it's going, to, it's going to send them into to turmoil. And he's saying, when that happens, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he gives, he gives an answer to that which is greater than they. You believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. For I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that where I am, there you may be also. He then moves into chapter 15, and he makes this promise, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The qualification is this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, expounding on this, this, this passage of one who is greater than you. John chapter 15, verse 9, he assures them that the Father has loved me so, I have loved you. And then in John chapter 16, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. As he gives these precious promises in, in preparation for what would soon come to pass, we get some cues as to how we deal with the uncertainties of a coming day or year. He gives us some clues as to what we need to do to be prepared for those unforeseen circumstances and what we need to do to prepare for even those those blessings of life. The response to both blessing and unforeseen difficult circumstances are the same in the believer's life. And as he's speaking that to them, he's going to bring it all back to its rightful conclusions. And in verse verse 25 of chapter 14, and we'll, we'll pick up there today, He says, these things have I spoken to you. What things? Everything that he taught them in his whole public ministry, but in particular, his words in John chapter 13 and 14, and what he will continue to speak in John chapter 15 and 16, and what he will eventually pray in John chapter 17. He is saying, listen, I want you to focus on on, on certain things while I am still with you. These certain things would bring them a source of comfort in light of all that would transpire in the very near future. It would sustain them in their disillusionment and remind them of the things that matter most. And and I'll tie this then to to last week. One of the problems that they would have, and, and often one of the problems that we have in our own life of existence, whether it's good times or, or, or bad times, is remembering everything that He's promised to us. 
and putting it in the right perspective. We focused a little bit on, on Mary's response of treasuring or preserving the knowledge that was entrusted to her by, by angelic beings and, and, and a prophetic announcement. We also talked about her, her pondering. I do believe that pondering, and I shared this last week, I do believe that pondering is one of the missing elements in much of our worship today. I've even wondered at the end of a service if we're too anxious to go off to the next thing. Well, we ought to be sitting still just for a moment and pondering those things that the Holy Spirit has brought to our attention through the preaching of the Word. But no, we, we've got a schedule to keep and we've got things to do. Pondering is not something we do well. Our culture has been trained to, to reject silence and to embrace busyness, but a sense that not much has changed. This pondering is to consider something deeply and thoroughly. But to consider something deeply and thoroughly oftentimes is directly tied to circumstance. I believe that what Jesus is trying to do here is to say, when you go through this next and difficult circumstance, one that you can't even imagine, I want you to take the time to put all the pieces together and remind yourself of everything that I've told you up until this point. You can't forget that. You must cling to that. The Scriptures teach us that Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. She couldn't anticipate or understand the full implications of all that would transpire the life of her child. But as those things would transpire, she would have to go back and, and, and draw upon all of those things that she knew to be right and true and all of those things that she had heard and, and kind of put them together and thoroughly weigh carefully the situation and bring it all together so that it might somehow manifest in her response to whatever it is that might come. I don't think we do that well in our culture today. I'm not even sure we do that well in our Christianity today, to ponder, to think deeply, to think thoroughly, to think coherently and, and cohesively, and, and to put everything in order is absolutely necessary in preparation for the next thing, and there will always be a next thing. But before the next thing, there has to be a season of pondering. I want to encourage you to take that time to do as, as Christ commands these, these disciples, to be remembering all of those things that He has spoken while He was still with them. A critical dimension to how they would respond to the events of the very next day, and critically important in our worship today. Verse 26, but the Helper Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He is saying and warning them that in the midst of these trials and situations, it is not going to come naturally to them to bring back all of this to remembrance, so they need to recall and understand all that He said, and it will be the Holy Spirit of God who will put all of the pieces together for them. It's not for us to figure out. It is for us to follow. And that's a really important distinction in the Christian life. And I've made the mistake more often than not of trying to figure it out instead of learning to follow as I ponder and put it all together and rest assured that God has everything 
under control. In this promise, he is, he is promising them the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that will come into this world, that Holy Spirit that he tells us even in this passage in, in Trinitarian theology is one and the same, yet, yet another, if you would. That Trinitarian theology that the Holy Spirit is, is God who would reside in them and lead them and remind them and teach them and show them all of these things and bring them to remembrance. I don't know about you. I go through these. I'm, I'm a little odd. You know that, right? I'm kind of an odd duck. We'll just leave it there, okay? So, so there are even times on a digital clock where I'll look at a digital clock and look at the numbers, and it's amazing. The Holy Spirit will bring that reference to life. You know, take those numbers and apply it to the book and remind me of the things that I have learned. You say, well, that's pretty simple. That's because I'm a simple guy. I need that sometimes. But I think you do too. And I think sometimes we miss those reminders, and we, we miss the reality that the Holy Spirit is so kind and gracious to us that, that He takes His places, and, and He tweaks our mind, and He reminds us of things that are absolutely necessary that we think maybe at the time are trivial in order to get us ready for what soon will come to pass. We spent the greater part of last year talking about saving grace and sanctifying grace and sustaining grace. Why? So that we would understand and rest in the grace of God when the next thing happens. And it'll be interesting to see when that next thing happens, how the Spirit will take our minds and the Scripture and remind us of the things that are absolutely necessary for that certain time and situation. It is the Holy Spirit who comes along and helps us to remember. It's that Holy Spirit that comes along and teaches us all things. And when, when we talk about teaching all things, we're talking about those deep things of God. It is the Holy Spirit of God that gives us spiritual discernment to think beyond our human minds and to connect the dots in such a way that our salvation is glorious. And I know this challenges us. And I know some have been stuck with us in the, in the course of, of our study in the book of Galatians. But the Bible makes it very clear that God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Pastor, it just doesn't make any sense. Connect the dots. Or better yet, let the Holy Spirit connect the dots for you. If you were dead in your trespass and sin, someone on the outside needed to bring life into you. That's not a choice that you could make. Dead men don't make choices. But God does. And by His grace, He chooses and He rescues and He saves and He equips and He sanctifies. But what I am thankful for at this stage of my life, having been through what I've been through in my life, is that He, he sustains me through His grace. It doesn't matter what's next. He has proven himself faithful. That's what he's talking to these men about. Remember the things that we've talked about. Let the Holy Spirit bring it to your remembrance. May you have deep spiritual discernment over those things that happen in your life. And may the divine inspiration of my words to you. Remember, we spent a long time in John 14 looking at that. The words of the Father coming through Christ remembered or, or revealed again to these apostles 
through the Holy Spirit, and they would write those remembrances in an inspired fashion, totally inerrant. For what reason? So that you too might know the things that he had spoken to them. So that you too might know the lessons that he taught them. So that you too might know, again through this same Holy Spirit, what it is that comes next after the next thing. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's where he started all of this in John chapter 14. Don't be stirred and agitated. Be reminded as the Spirit stirs your heart and mind, do not be afraid. And he's going to give them reasons that they don't need to be afraid shortly. But first we have to tackle this peace. And the prosperity purveyors of the gospel today will tell you that this peace exempts you from conflict and pain and the sinful realities of life, and you can have your best life now. And they're a bunch of liars. It's a short order. In John chapter 16, before Jesus prays for these disciples, he said, oh, by the way, in this world you will have tribulation. But but I've overcome that world. Remember the things that I've taught you, and when you can't, the Spirit will remind you of the things that I've taught you, and the Spirit will use the Word of God to remind you of the thing. You see how He's building and getting them ready for the next big thing? This promise of peace only comes through Christ. It is a peace that passes understanding. But even before it's a peace that passes understanding, it is a peace that takes the enemy of God. And by the way, that's you and I. We were at enmity with God before He reached into our lives and rescued our souls. We were vessels fit for destruction. The weight of the wrath of God was rightly placed upon. And Jesus is teaching them in the context of the deep discerning issues of these words that peace with God comes from a relationship with God, and that relationship with God will come only through Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, notice, declared, you didn't do anything. You were declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a peace with God. And where does that peace come from, Paul says in Romans 5? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, if I've trusted my Father, you must now trust me peace I leave with you. The world will tell you that there's one God worshiped in multiple ways in the culture today, and each one of those ways is a valid way of the pursuit of the God who created everything. But again, that's not true. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except you come through me. This promise of peace is rooted in Christ and Christ alone. And we will spend the first half of 2024 moving through again the book of Galatians, being reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a biblical form. And your salvation 
If you're paying attention and your salvation through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and your salvation through the Scripture will become more and more glorious by the day when you realized that you did nothing, 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 yet He saved you to the uttermost. It is a glorious story of grace. And that grace is rooted and grounded in Christ alone. And when you have that right relationship, and when you have that spirit, and when you rely and trust on the Scripture, there is a peace that overwhelms us that surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? In the midst of some of the greatest calamities of life, and this is a few months back, we, we, we studied this. There is a sense that comes over us as we're focused on the right things that everything's going to be okay. We should be coming apart at the seams. By the grace of God, our belief in Jesus Christ and the promise of Scripture, we cling to the notion that everything's going to be okay. And when you cling to that notion, He will guard your hearts and he will guard your minds, and he will remind you of the truth. And in the darkest times, you will cry, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, he's coming. But he's in charge of that time, not you. You must walk through this next thing. And just wait and see what God does with that. He gives the promise of the Spirit. He gives the promise of peace in this context, and he says, don't be troubled, and don't be afraid. You know, sometimes in our lives, Christ is our fallback reality. We're at the end of our rope and the bottom of the barrel will finally cry out. He's trying to prepare these men in this upper room that he doesn't want to be their fallback reality. He wants to be their present reality. Every second of every minute, of every day, of every month, of every year, he wants them to be reminded that he is greater and he is good and there is a reason and everything's going to be okay. And I am guilty of resting in my faith and the Word through the Spirit as a fallback when I put myself in a corner and I can't find a way out, when that ought to be the present reality no matter what the next thing might be. As He's speaking to them, they will have to learn this just like we do the hard way. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. He is saying, I am going back to the Father. I will have completed all of my work and mission here on earth. I must return to my Father. He is greater than I, and greater in that He was fulfilling His messianic responsibilities, but ontologically he was still God in the flesh. And the crying voice of a child 
They heard the voice of God. I know that's a difficult and daunting challenge to keep that foremost in your mind. But we spoke much of that last week in our Christmas celebration. And this God in the flesh is the sovereign God of the universe. And John 1, the creator of the universe, the provider of all good things. He's saying, if you understood why I was leaving, you would have rejoiced. They will, but not till they get to the other side of this next thing. And on the other side of this next thing, they will see him ascending up into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And it would be life-changing for them, absolutely life-changing for them. And now, I have told you before, it takes place. I'm preparing you for the next thing. I'm telling you before it takes place what is going to take place so that when it does take place, you would believe. All throughout his earthly ministry, he has showed them time and time and time again that he was the sovereign God of the universe, time and time again, that that he was sovereign over all things and circumstances, time and time again, revealing to him that he had come from God and would return to God. And yet they're so wrapped up in their lives, you know, that, that present reality, that it all doesn't really settle on them and and change the way they think. But he's saying, listen, all of this has to happen, and all of this has happened in order that you might believe. I am testifying to the promises of God fulfilled in me. And whatever realities will soon come to pass, I've got this. trying to teach them to walk by faith. The things that you have seen reveal my person and my character and my nature, and you followed me. When I'm not here, and the realities that are not yet but soon will be are thrust upon you, hang on to this notion, hang on to the truth, tap in to the Spirit and believe that everything's going to be okay. It's not the first time he's told them this. He says in chapter 13, I don't know how many times I have to remind you of everything I've been reminding you of. And I think every time, he had to be talking to the people here at First Baptist. He just, he just had. <laughs> no. No, he's speaking to me. (laughs) Have I not commanded? Have I not told you? Haven't I promised you? What if I let you down? Don't you understand? Yet I must rely on the promise of the Spirit. I must rely on the promise of peace. I must rely on the truth of the Scripture that the Holy Spirit brings me remembrance of in in life's most difficult times, and I must hang on to and cling to that belief, no no matter how unbelievable it might be. And sometimes it's unbelievable. I get it. There will be some here who say, well, okay, this all seems great in theory, but you mean to tell me that God is still on charge when, when the next thing happens? 
yeah, yeah, I'm not here to remind you the Spirit is, but I'm here to testify. I've learned it sometimes the hard way as a fallback reality, and I hope I'm living more in the present reality that this too shall come to pass. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Everything's going to be okay. As He teaches them that lesson, it's so that they might believe. And then He gives them a warning. I will no longer talk much with you. My cynicism, I might read, yeah, I can't, I can't get it through your thick skull, so I'm going to stop talking. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I've fulfilled, I've, I've told you, I've given you everything that you need for, for life and godliness, and one of the men in that room would say, and write in his epistle that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Remember his name? It was Peter. It was the first to forget, by the way, of these precious promises, but it, but it, was, it was Peter. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. I love this. He has no claim on me. Isn't that amazing? He's talking about sovereignty. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. This prince of the air, this Satan himself, has no rule or claim over me. Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life to sacrifice his life for the ransom of many. And Satan had no way to accuse and no way to make any kind of accusation and no way to undermine these precious promises. They were secured in Jesus Christ. That is where our peace comes from through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in spite of the ruler of this world, he has no claim on Jesus. That's a glorious text. But connect the dots. When we become of one of one of his, this ruler of the world has no claim on us because we're children of the king. He has no, oh, he'll accuse us. Oh, he'll cause doubt. Oh, he'll stir negative memories and remembrances, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And because of Jesus Christ, he has no claim on you. What a glorious text. Because of my Savior, he can't touch me. Because of my Savior, he can't touch me. But that doesn't mean that the darkness is never overwhelming. It just means that when the darkness is overwhelming, we need to go back and remember the things that He told us. We need to allow the Spirit of God to stir our minds and remembrances with the Word of God. So in the midst of that worst-case scenario, We still believe everything's going to be okay. And it may cost our life, but he has no claim on us. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and no one will pluck you from the Father's hand. Wow. 
No wonder they didn't get all of this. I had the book complete, and I didn't get all of it until when? Until the dark days. You know how that goes, right? And then the very things that he promised became a reality. This ruler of the world has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded in obedience so that the world might know that I love the Father and have fulfilled the divine plan of the ages through my incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection. Just quickly, and it has to be quick, flip to to Ephesians, if you would, please. Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds those in Ephesus that they were dead at one point in their trespasses and sin, in which you once walked following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. He had control over you. You were a sinner by nature. You lived a life of sinfulness, separated from God with no hope whatsoever. Following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, verse 4, but God. What does that mean? It means God did it. You did nothing, nothing, nothing. You were busy walking in the sins of this world, and walking in the flesh, and under the spirit of the ruler of this world, yet God, who is rich in mercy, reached into your life with His great love. And when we were dead in our trespasses, He called us from that grave and made us alive together with Christ. It is all by grace. That's a glorious text. He's telling us in the context that this ruler of this world has no claim on you. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Paul prays for these same believers who he'd given a glorious introduction to in chapter 1, reminds them of where they were now, where they're headed in chapter 2, and now speaks in the end of chapter 3 with a powerful prayer that according to the riches of His glory, verse 16, chapter 3, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit and your inner being. When that next thing happens… I am praying for strength that comes through the spirit of promise, for strength that comes from the peace of God that passes understanding, and for strength to recall through the spirit the teachings of Christ, sustain our walk in a reminder that He has no claim on us. He prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Wait a second, why is He praying? that Christ would dwell in our hearts if indeed when we're saved, Christ dwells in our hearts. He's he's praying for something a little bit different in chapter 3. He is praying that you and your Christian life would be reminded of all of those things that have happened and taken place and put them all together so that you understand that this present prayer is for present strength when the next thing happens. He already dwells in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit residing in our body, reminding us of the things spoken of in John chapter 14. 
And when we understand, when we yield ourselves entirely to this Christ in our hearts through faith and the Word, we understand the depth of His love that is immeasurable. Again, in our study in Galatians, it is a very hard concept for us to consider and think that we didn't do something for our salvation. But the Scripture is pretty clear on that matter. But when indeed we focus on the truth of Scripture and we're given a glimpse of how He says it here, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of knowing Christ, which surpasses our knowledge, our salvation is glorious. And the more we learn, the more glorious it becomes. And we're waiting for that glory to be, to be rained on us when we see Him. And then He reminds these believers the reason that they were rescued and the reason that He's praying for strength is that God is at work in their lives. And so for Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power working in us, which is the Spirit of God in John chapter 14. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever. And again, I'd, I'd remind you, and we don't have the time to take this rabbit trail. It'd be a great trail, by the way. The next thing demands worship. Wor- worship. Worship is the reality of the Christian life, sometimes hard, hard to come by. And of course, in chapter 6, in the midst of darkness, he reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And the Christian life was never intended to be easy. but we're called to depend on God, to trust the peace of God that passes understanding, to cling to, to hope when, when all seems hopeless. Why? Because He has no claim on me. If you are a memorizer of Scripture, memorize that text in John chapter 14. The ruler of the air, He's, he's coming, but He has no claim on me. That's, gl- that's glorious. He has no claim on me. So, as he, as he lays this out before them, he, he concludes by saying, I- I'm really done speaking of these kinds of things. He will give a couple of more lessons, probably on the road to Gethsemane, the vine and the branches, and we will, we will tackle the rest of this each first Sunday of the month as we sit down for the Lord's Supper. But he concludes this section and this transition by some interesting words. Rise, let us go from here. You know, how applicable is that? He's saying, okay, this is the way it is, and these are the realities of life, and I've given you everything that you need for the next thing. So let's rise and go from here, indicating moving to the next thing. It would be devastating in their lives devastating. They would end up hiding, shielding themselves from that reality until God through His Spirit brought all of those things together. And then they're set free. 
and finally make sense in the midst of that tragedy. Everything that he had been telling them for, for his whole life and ministry. Rise. Let, it, let us go from here. Right or wrong, not a bad thing for the new year. There's nothing we can do about yesterday. So let's rise and get on to the next thing. But let's not forget the things that matter most. Pastor Jim, what is that? We already told you through the text. No matter what happens in this world and no matter what scheming this prince of the air and the deceiver of man plays in your life, he cannot take our peace in Christ. He cannot rob us of a peace that passes understanding if we go back to the Scriptures Rely on the Spirit to bring those things to remembrance. And as we tackle the next, the next thing in the context of the things that He's left for us, we will experience that peace. Interestingly enough, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus speaks these words in John 17, verse 9, I am praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, Father, for they are yours. All Mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Continue to give them that peace that passes understanding. No matter what happens, we know from other Scripture that this same Jesus is making intercession for us every single day before the throne of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Not only do we take that peace into this next thing, we take a sense of security because this prince of the air, this evil one, has no claim on you. Stop and think about that. He can't touch you other than the sovereign will of God in Christ Jesus. We are secure in Jesus Christ, and no one will pluck you from the Father's hand. No one, Jesus says, will pluck you from my hand. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is security, but security doesn't mean that there aren't days of darkness. And this is the peace that passes understanding. In the midst of those days of darkness, we're secure. Okay. Okay. You, you got to take it from here. Okay. Do you have that kind of security? It only comes in Christ. Do you have that kind of peace? It only comes in Christ. Do you have that understanding? It only comes through the Word. Do you know the peace of God through Jesus Christ. May you know the security of God through Jesus Christ, and may you know the hope of God through Jesus Christ. And that hope is a confident expectation that everything that He has said, He will do. And if He said He would never leave us or forsake us, why would you doubt that? 
He always does what he says, this Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. A couple of takeaways, if I lost you somewhere along the way. Satan has no claim on you. Shout it from, from the hilltop. He has no claim on you. That's glorious. And the next thing, search for the peace of God that comes from the Spirit of God through the Word of God and secured through the Son of God, for neither is there salvation in any other. And cling to the hope of God that if He goes to prepare a place for us, He will come again and receive us unto Himself, that where He is, there you may be also. May that be the next great thing. Or may He sustain us until that thing. But we must rest and rely on the things that we know from the Scripture that is revealed through the Spirit of God who speaks truth and discernment to the depths of that reality, and we must rise and go from here. So often we're just like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a nice place. Let's just build a tent and stay here. No. There's going to be a next thing. May the peace of God rule in your hearts. There's going to be a next thing. May you claim the promise that He has no claim on you. And then the next great thing. May you have a confident expectation that he has gone before, he has ordered your steps, and everything's going to be okay. Not a bad way to rise and go on to the next thing. May it be so in our lives for his glory. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Prepare us for that next thing. Remind us of this glorious truth. Take us to the depths of the Scripture. Teach us this year to carve out time to ponder. Help us to prepare for the next thing. When it happens, remind us that He has no claim on us. He can't touch us outside of the divine will of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we find our hope in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us? We're going to close our service out by singing how